0: Hi, I'm Piper. And I'm Erin. Welcome to Off the Tracks podcast, where we explore what it means to do law differently. Today, we're joined by Braden Lauer. Braden is a franchise and corporate commercial lawyer in Vancouver, practicing at a firm founded in 2020, McCoosh Law. The firm is a B Corp, which is important to meeting the mantra of practicing law with a pulse. Braden is also an entrepreneur and the co-founder of a franchise consulting business called The Franchise Kickstarter, as well as being the chief legal officer of a blockchain investment group, Sukiyomi. You might recognize Braden from his stint on CBC's reality TV show, Canada's Smartest Person, where he emerged the winner. Guys, we're so lucky. He was Canada's smartest person, probably still is, in 2014. And he also participated on a reality show called Sequester. He's also a regular pinball competitor and a long-standing board member of the Vancouver International Children's Festival Society. Brayden, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's awesome to be here. I was waiting for the music and I guess that's all post-production, so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, I, little, I think it kind of sounds like a train track so yeah <laughs> i'm
1: sad i didn't get to see you guys playing like an organ or something in the background so
2: um, but so I'm, right
1: yeah i'm very excited to to be here and to jump on after um you guys had to talk about debt for weeks and weeks and weeks and <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know we're happy to keep talking about it we are also happy to just continue these cool conversations and get to meet people um like you so thanks thanks for joining us on this sunny saturday afternoon
2: Yes. Thanks, Braden. It's nice to e-meet you. As I was saying earlier, um, Braden and I are both on the Good Lawyer Network. So we have chatted in our Slack channel before um, and attended some uh, Zoom calls with the Go- Good Lawyer community, but we have yet to speak uh, more in depth. So I'm really excited to learn more about Braden and his really awesome Law firm. Um, so, do you want to just kind of give us a bit of an intro onto what led you to law school or your legal career, and um, if your journey changed over time?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, so it was never. I think there's a lot of people that kind of have that whole like, oh, I watched this movie or that, or my parents were lawyers, um, and that was never the the plan for me. Like, I was sort of, uh, I did, you know, I was doing well in school back in the day, and I thought I would be a mathematician. Um, I did like one year of math and then I was like, well, I don't, I guess I could be a professor. I don't know what you do with this. Uh, So then I, you know, my, uh, with talking to my parents, I wanted to do something practical. And I I did accounting for three years at U of A. Um, And finally it was my last year of accounting. And I went to one of those firms, you know, one of those big firms. And they try to, you know, tour you around and pretend that it's a lot of fun, but they couldn't just hide the fact that everyone really looked miserable. And I don't know if it was because I was in Edmonton, it was like really cold in the middle of winter, but uh, that's when I pivoted very last minute. So, um, you know, my girlfriend at the time was a geological engineer. Um, We spent a semester out in Toronto and I actually got, I was on waiting list for an LSAT spot. And got the last spot in some Jesuit college in rural Ontario, um, so a very short turnaround to study, and then all of a sudden I was at UBC um, in law school. So lawyer was never really the plan; it was sort of uh, a product of pivoting over and over. Um, and I, I always say this, and I, I think I probably even you know wrote it to you guys earlier that I always feel like I fall ass backwards into exactly where I need to be, um, and you know, law is very good for me though i don't think i'm like the typical lawyer potentially so it was a long journey i still some days i wake up i'm like wow this is this is it this is what i'm doing how am i here
0: (laughs) no that's awesome i think aaron and i uh definitely feel the same way and it's funny because aaron and i were or aaron just spoke about how you two know each other and Brayden and I know each other because I actually hired Braden to be my lawyer um, for my coaching business. I needed to get some help with something. And I said, like, Aaron, I need a lawyer. And we we went on Good Lawyer. I chose Brayden. Um, but before I even reached out to Braden, I said to Aaron, oh, my God, we need this guy in the podcast. He seems so cool. Um, and so it was sort of like a double whammy. And he like, did do that. <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. Yes, yes, like I paid Braden to be my lawyer, like very happily, and he did amazing work. So if you're looking for some corporate commercial uh, law, definitely check out Braden on Good Lawyer. Um, But um, it was also, you know, there was an ulterior motive, which was to get him on the podcast, which I succeeded on uh, today. So I'm so grateful you're here. um, And I'm so grateful that your um, weird accounting firm tour um, in Edmonton led you to law because it seems like you're doing... Such great work. And so your law firm's tagline, I believe, is practicing law with a pulse. So can you tell us a little bit about what more about like what that means to you and your daily practice?
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, I'll step it back a little bit uh from that question, too, and that like I was one of the people that, you know, got caught up in the uh OCI's and the whole big firm thing. I was very much myself throughout it. Like I I always sort of act like I didn't care. I didn't like really look up all the firms and and look too far into it because I was like, I don't have connections at any of these firms. I think, you know, if they want me, they want me. But I still really wanted to be at a big firm because that's what kind of happens. You've got some money pressure, you've got the pressure of your peers. So I did work at a a big firm uh, downtown here in Vancouver for I think my first three, four years. Um, uh, Finally, I was kind of realizing that uh, if I wanted to do franchising and sort of specialize, I should go somewhere else and build my own practice. I really like the idea of actually talking to clients as opposed to being the gremlin behind uh, the door of a a partner. So um, I moved to a mid-sized firm, um, a pretty well-known boutique here in Vancouver. And I realized the grass was the exact same color, Uh, it was a very similar structure. And you know, I still love everyone that I've worked with at both those places. I learned a ton, but again, like I wasn't really building my own practice. I was building practice for other people, and you know, wasn't really feeling fully supported. So then, as soon as COVID hit, and you know, you're working at home anyways, you're not getting a lot of the perks that a lot of these law firms sort of say that they give to you. You know, the fancy office and uh, all this support and stuff. Um, I was like, I could. I have a laptop, I could do all of this on my own, probably. Or I could just quit and do something completely different. I had like some other things I wanted to do. So that's when, um, you know, midway through the COVID pandemic last year, saying midway, but dang, this has been going on for a long time. um, I left that firm. Um, And so a friend uh, that also worked there also decided to leave that firm. Um, We kind of both had a similar vision that we wanted to have clients that we really, really cared about. We want to have like as little frills as possible when practicing law, like it's not about the suits and the big office and all that. And really we're all working online anyways. Um, and we wanted to, you know, feel like it's law with a pulse kind of thing. So Makushla, this is uh, my partner, it has Irish roots and, and Makushla is a uh, an old folk uh, term. There's a song called Makushla, which I will not sing to you. But it means it's an in term of endearment that someone would say to their significant other. They'd say, like, you're my pulse, you're my heart, like, I love you. Um, so Makush Law is built off of that idea of like practicing law with a pulse. And again, we didn't want to have one of our last names. We felt that's, like, prestigious and kind of, like, Bleh. So that's where the term comes from. So you can thank uh, my, my partner, James, for, for that name. And really, you know, what we do, they can see my office here, it's, it's, we're in Gastown, we're right by the downtown east side. Um, We try to, uh, as a B Corp, we try to actually provide some benefit to the communities around us, like it's a pretty big part of what we do. We don't have a billable hour target, and actually someone could come in here and work five hours a month, um, and they would be just as an important part of the team, it's just about what you want to do, so uh, that's that's kind of what the vision is. It's still the early days and it's still really scary and difficult, but, um, you know, we're still trying to push that vision.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is very serendipitous because I was just painting my hallway closet (laughs) the other day and listening to Charlene Theodore's work that works podcast. Uh, and I was listening to the episode called, I think it's episode seven, Balance Purpose with Profit, um, and she interviews Joanne McPhail, who helped Barriston Law become one of the first B Corp law firms in Ontario, and wow. so um, I was listening to that, and then while we were prepping for this episode, I realized that your firm is also a B Corp, so we were just wondering if you can tell us I know you touched on it briefly, but a bit more about the process, why you chose to do that, what it entails, and, and how it's helped your practice?
1: Well, the, <laughs> this is an interesting question, because I I personally think it's, it's a signaling thing. It's a signaling thing to your community, and it sort of lets people know what you're doing or what your values are, and I think it's important for you know, keeping people accountable inside, you have to report on the benefits that you, you give to a community. There's, I think, uh, a B Corp isn't something that um, the uh, corporate registrar kind of gives to you, per se, it's a third party says that you are a B Corp, and then you're allowed to change your articles to um, to show that. So, um, the process is actually quite simple, if you can show that you're actually providing benefits to a community in certain areas, that's economic, um, cultural, um, artistic, there's a number of of those different areas. And we were able to just because of the clients that we work with and some of the other uh, non-billable or pro bono things that we do. Um, The process was all done by James, uh, my partner, because James is a, a bit more passionate about the actual label of B Corp. And I personally think that if you're doing good, you don't have to label yourself as it. But you know, here we are today anyways, and I think it's it's still a really good thing for us to have, and we're going to be figuring out how to do the reporting for the first time this year. Um, yeah, but I don't think, like, I, I don't think that there's many law firms out there that are B Corps, to be honest. I think we're the only one that I've seen in the Vancouver area that I know of, so I'll have to look into that Ontario one as well.
2: Yeah, that is so interesting, because I know I look for B Corps when I'm shopping personally or at least I try to look up um under the environmental working group and see what products like especially if it's skincare or something that you're putting on your body or cleaning your house with but I'd never thought of, of, of a law firm being a B Corp which is so interesting to me I um went the very traditional route and did not come up with a creative name like you did Um, and just went out on my own as my name um, because I was such a brand new lawyer um, and just went with my own uh, name and branding and I'm also just a sole proprietor at this point but that is definitely something that is cool to look forward to as I you know hope to expand and become a corporation one day um, but that is something to work towards is becoming a B Corp. So it's awesome to see other trendsetters in the field for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think it's like, you have to be aware of the clients that you're trying to attract as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, we had plenty of those clients at, you know, the midsize firm that they didn't really make sense for the mantra that that firm was trying to project. And like, um, right. we have a lot of, um, James specifically, but we do have a lot of First Nations clients as well because we dabble in a lot of uh, um, real estate, First Nations real estate. Um, and the signaling to certain clients like that, that, you know, we understand, you know, what what they're trying to do as well is is important um, because I feel like there's a lot of distrust, especially, and, you know, for people that can't see me, um, James and I are two white guys. Um that started a law firm again. So it's kind of just the generic two white guys starting a law firm. But we do do work that we care about. We do try to actually help the community here. So it's it's helpful for signaling, I think.
0: No, that's awesome. And that's so interesting. Um, I am embarrassed. I've heard the term B Corp before, um, but didn't know what it meant. And I said to Aaron, uh, as we were prepping for this episode, I said, okay, quick, like we have to Google what a B Corp is. And Aaron was like, Piper, I know all about a B Corp. And so it's so interesting. Clearly, I have to go do some research. Um, But I think that that's awesome. So Braden, when you talk about like how there are all these different ways that your B Corp can give back to the community, what are some of your firm's like top priorities when it comes to that?
1: Right. So, uh, you know, as far as B Corps go, there's a certification for B Corps and then there's actually like being a registered as a B Corp under your uh, legislation. And there actually is some difference being uh, you can be a certified B Corp and not be registered, which means you don't have to necessarily um, uh, give some of these reports back to um, your stakeholders. But what we do is uh, you will have certain um, uh, amounts of monies that we want to give back to certain areas, uh, which there's, there's certain heads of cultural or um, there's there's certain groups here in the downtown east side that we will uh, give certain amounts of our profits to. Um, it's also means helping certain clients at low bono pro bono amounts um, that meet some of those benefit corp standards. So, you know, we have a number of clients that we bring to the door and immediately are, you know, when we, we recognize that they meet those heads, then we get to, you know, show that that's part of our B Corp, uh, meeting our B Corp standard. Um, and, and really beyond that, it's, it's sort of just about volunteering outside of work in those communities, because you're allowed to sort of talk about these other pieces in your reports. So, um, you know, things like even me just being part of the children's festival as a volunteer is part of the artistic uh, benefit uh, that I could potentially report as a B Corp, but hopefully and most likely we have enough beyond that to already report.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and uh thanks for sharing. Definitely aspirational for the future for me. So I really appreciate learning more about how you guys have done that. So pivoting a bit back in time to um before you were a lawyer, um, if the if you could go back to law school, what is one thing that you wish you could do differently?
1: Um, I think a lot. Uh law school was a party to me. I was not one of the people that was Um, A bookworm, I felt like the hardest part of law school was getting into law school is what I always used to say. So I just think like uh, drinking and partying less, reading some more and and, like actually working and saving money would have been helpful. Um, I was, you know, I know you guys have had these debt series and I was one of those people that had a pretty big line of credit and felt that, you know, my comfort uh, in law school was more important than, you know, saving And living in Vancouver is also a very high cost of living. So, I guess everything, a lot of things. (laughs) Um, And you know, around that time, uh, it actually impacted my career a lot. So I was had some you know mental health issues then. And I think in law school, everyone gets sort of imposter syndrome. Um, You start going to these parties and things. And I had uh, some run-ins with the law, so I had to disclose things to the BC Law Society. When I was trying to be called to the bar. And it, you know, those decisions almost derailed my ability to actually start a career as a lawyer. So um, these are things I talk about these openly because I think a lot of people don't. And in in BC at the time, there was some, a lot of talk about changing some of the provisions about disclosure around mental health issues. Um, And you were supposed to disclose if you had had you know any sort of mental health issues um, and that could be like you know depression or going to a, um, a therapist for something you probably should have disclosed it and the law society found that people would almost never disclose even if they had issues because they thought that would lose them the chance of being a lawyer so yeah I would change a lot but I also you know through that experience and you know through a law society telling me that, you know, I would have to be randomly tested through my first few years of being a lawyer, and I would have to be sober, um, made me grow a bit and also realize some things that were wrong with the profession, um, some things that we have a lot of shame about. Uh, and also, you know, it also helped me in being a good lawyer in those first few years as well. What is interesting now is I think I was one of the last cohorts that had that, um that disclosure piece on their law society applications. So they actually made a lot of changes in BC at least. And I know there's a a person that I always tout a guy named Brooke Greenberg, who's a venture here that was a a big part of some of those things being changed. Um, So sorry, I just went into a whole background story there but this is also an area that I'm very passionate about so.
0: No, don't be sorry. Thank you so much for sharing. Erin and I talk really openly about sort of the different journeys we've had, especially when it comes to accessing therapy. Um, I, yeah, we, we talk about it all the time. And I think that we all have things that sometimes like live in the shadows of our history. Um, but when we talk about uh, these things, it kind of uh, doesn't give like any shame, like it doesn't give shame any power anymore. And that's just so important um, to not only like help ourselves Um, heal or move forward um, and learn from the situations that we've been in Um, but it also maybe like hopefully helps somebody else and there's a lot of power in like learning from your peers um, and your friends and so on and so forth about things like this so thank you for sharing Um, and we're so glad that you're here and that BC sort of changed their processes and um, that Um, the disclosure requirements aren't as rigid and allow people to um, like flourish without having to disclose things that maybe they're not ready to talk about yet.
1: Yeah it's it's an interesting space and um, I sort of you know I was lucky I had a really good um, sort of mentor in the early days um, a, a woman named Linda Hogg out of my well I guess now everyone will know the office that I worked at but, you know, I can't say enough good things about her because, you know, she. you, you kind of need those people to go to bat for you in, in early days of your career. Um, and for people to kind of break it down to say, you know, that we're all human or whatever. Um, and I decided pretty early on because there was, you know, conversations about, okay, we're going to support you through what you have to do with the law society. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be with management and myself um, or whatever. And, you um, and I, you know, I was like, well, I don't want you guys having to hold secrets for me. This seems like, you know, that whole big firm thing where there's secrets and this and that. So it ended up being a thing where I kind of just told everyone that, you know, yeah, here's some issues that I'm having, the, the firm's behind me, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that's why I don't drink at all of our mixers, you know, and and it became like a point of power almost, like not like power, like so I could lord it over people, but just like power over your own situation so that you're not. You know, I would still go to all these mixers, and I'd still be around clients all the time, like enjoying enjoying life. Obviously, but it was um, a good way to take uh, some power over some of those things that you you know look at as as weaknesses at times. So that was a, a really interesting, a really interesting time in my life. So whenever I look back at law school, I'm always just like, dang, <laughs> if I could have just you know learned my lesson a little bit earlier, that would have been a little bit nicer.
2: Yeah. So. I have an interesting question, I guess, on that. But um, how have you found that transitioning um, and and dealing with with the alcohol aspect in law? Because I find that it is so prevalent. I won't out the firm that did this, but I um, in OCIs had an interview with a firm that asked me what my, because I'm from Niagara, like I'm from St. Catharines, I live close to a lot of wineries, and then also in Windsor, there's a lot of wineries too. But anyways, like literally my entire OCI uh, interview was around what my favorite winery was, what my favorite drink was, what my favorite wine was, like what do I do on the weekends, Oh, you go running. Oh, well, do you drink though? And I was, <laughs> that was like the entire. Um, do you
1: drink while running? Do you do beer miles?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, go <laughs> so with wine. Like it's so prevalent in our profession.
1: I think that. So you know, full disclosure, I do. I do drink again. There, I had talks, you know, with people, and the, the what would sort, sort of happened. I think previously was a bit of a. Uh, you know, I, I do drink now, um, and I found that it's but not for the reasons that I did before and not to, it it does not define me. I can go to a meeting and I don't have to be drinking. Um, But I think that there was a pressure or there was a feeling at times that, you know, and I think this happens even as far back as high school where it's like, you can't be cool unless you drink at a party or something. But I think it's about people like when you are interested in what you're interested in, in, in and when you can sort of push back and say very confidently, I don't know like I like this winery because they have cool cheese and I like I drove my parents over to this winery in the Okanagan um, and they you know were acting like idiots or something but like it was very easy for me to control the conversation and maybe it's because I have a lot of other weird and wacky things that I tend to like and do and, and maybe that's just um, a privilege that I have anyways I can say like well, you know, look over here, I was on a TV show. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think that that's honestly just a skill that you learn as uh, becoming a professional of, you know, guiding a conversation or, or guiding people to what's important or what's important to you. So I guess there is no cut and dry answer. If if someone, if a firm really wants to talk about how much they drink and how much they put away on the weekends, then honestly, I don't really want to work there. So So I hope you didn't go to that firm.
2: No, I did not. No, I I also didn't get the second interview. So, so weird.
0: Ah, Oh, strange. Probably because of all the running, running, Erin. Too much, too much running, not enough drinking.
2: Yeah. They also asked if I um, accidentally got my grade in the course. (laughs) Like oh thank you this has been so pleasant I'm gonna
0: know, leave because Erin got like an insane Aaron, did not you get like a ninety nine in tort law and is that yeah
2: you- I actually got a ninety nine but I got around, I got curved down to a ninety six <laughs> wow
0: Erin Aaron. Erin's a tort law queen and yeah she's told this story to me before and to friends before about how like a firm in OCI's asked her if that was a mistake and like rude <laughs> it was not a mistake you're just talking to the <laughs> queen of tort law. Um, but just circling back for a second, in I think, thank you so much for sharing everything you shared. I wish I could just take so much time and unpack so many of the things that hit me so hard. Um, but one of the things you said that really resonated with me, um, is you talked about like power and controlling the narrative. So talking to people at your firm, um, not like letting it live in like the shame of just management and partners knowing, and like, telling people actually I'm not drinking at the mixers and here's all the reasons why. I think that like in my own life, I've really seen like the power that you can take back um, in a situation when you you control the narrative. And I know that there are things in my life that I know there's a narrative I wanna control but maybe I'm not quite yet ready um, to open that can of worms. And it's, it's things that Erin and I talk about a lot in private conversations. Um, in like the narratives that maybe we've yet to uncover in our own lives Um, but I just think that that's so true and for anyone listening who's maybe struggling with something um, or dealing with something that they're not sure how they want to share it with others there's a lot of power in just being really authentic um, in who you are and what you're dealing with um, because chances are other people have been through similar things as we're unpacking here today and kind of on every episode. (laughs)
1: It's, it's so hard, like, I think, you know, in the legal profession, especially, is, which is why we have so many, you know, mental health issues and suicides and all that is, there's this, uh, everyone thinks everyone's supposed to be perfect, right? And, you know, obviously, I've read your blog on, uh, I read the blog on failing uh, the bar exam, and, you know, there's plenty of other examples. You know, you're a summer student, you walk through the door and realize you don't know how to do a simple pleading um, or you make a mistake, or you miss a deadline or something, you have to, it's it's about sort of communicating and taking that power back and understanding that we're all human. And, and it's sometimes, like, I forget that every every second day as well. Like, I'm talking about this big game right now in, in one area of my life, but there's other areas of my life where it's like, I'm sure I still do it, right? I still sort of hide behind this facade of I'm a perfect lawyer. So it's, uh it's a learning experience.
0: <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I think um Aaron and I we spend a lot of time planning out like tweeting about the podcast. And I'm a little bit a little bit type A. So I'll be like, Aaron, there can't be a typo, or like I'll I'll be a little bit um a little bit intense about it sometimes. And then I apologize to Aaron for for being so intense. Um and we we love each other anyways. But um it's so interesting because Um, I think about like what people see in anyone's life and then all that they don't see. And um, I'm so fortunate, like through my bar exam coaching business, like I meet a lot of interesting people and I think sometimes all of my coaching clients are very um, nervous and anxious understandably because of the bar exam. And so part of my role with bar exam coaching is, All of my clients are very anxious and nervous for the bar exams, which I completely understand. And so part of that is kind of helping uh, get rid of those fears and and help them sort of find ways to like build confidence, especially when it comes to these exams. Um, But sometimes people will say to me like, oh, you must be so busy, like you're coaching and you're doing your full-time job and these other things. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, it's great. Like everyone's busy. I hate kind of like the, the busy comparison trap But I think sometimes it's like, I'll show up to a coaching session and I'll have like just been so upset about something or I'll get like a really stressful work email in the middle of a coaching session. Or like two days ago, I had a complete breakdown because the nurse practitioner I've had since I was 15 is retiring and I lost it. I was crying for like over an hour and it probably like wasn't about my nurse practitioner retiring. It was probably more about like, there's been so much change in my life over the past year and a half, Um, not just due to the pandemic, due to a lot of different factors. And I think like basically this long winded point that I'm trying to make is that everybody has their own shit and everybody has shit that other people don't see. And everybody is like, maybe not every day, but like everybody has struggles that they don't let the world see. And so, like life is stressful and life is hard for everyone, regardless of the privileges that you enjoy. Um, And I think that sometimes we're not mindful of that. We're uh, into keeping up this facade because it's like a protective barrier. And so sometimes I teeter between like wanting to show all of these things and like fall into this kind of like, for me, I think there's like a vulnerability trap and a facade trap. Like I don't want to sometimes be like, too vulnerable because then it's like i'm totally exposed and then other times i'm like this is too fake like i'm not this happy right now
1: that's so that's exactly i mean this was always a struggle with me was that like i wanted to bring as much humanity or like as much of me into my practice as possible and so like what you're saying as far as like you know i will get on a call and say you know my dog is being a real jerk today and you know i need five minutes to go put her outside or you know my old even at my very first office up on the whatever it was 20 something floor of Bentel five downtown vancouver i had like all of my 3d puzzles and things from like i had one of the weird offices you know when it's like you go by there's like the really nice ones and i had the weird one because i was like this isn't me i wouldn't wear a suit and tie as often as i could and i would like push back against management because i'm like this is not i'm not a suit guy this is not me i still do the work as good or better than everyone else and, you know, even I think, you know, part of starting this firm or moving on to a more, um, you know, with a Paul's practice is about being vulnerable, but bringing like more of yourself, like a, a more authentic version of yourself. So that's, that's, yeah, that's always good to hear from other people that we're all struggling every day. But I mean, you know, the, 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 that's the issue with the professional well, issue. I don't know if it's an issue, but it's part of the profession is, we still want to project confidence in ourselves, right? Because you know we still want people to trust us, and you know we help people to maybe pass the bar, or help people to get their service contracts in order, or whatnot, or give them really real advice about things that really matter to them, like uh, their family law issues or a criminal issue. So it's I think it's like finding that perfect line between you know I'm human and I'm real and 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 whatnot, but also you can you know trust me. So. I don't know what, I don't know what the
2: answer is is at all. Well, you have a really nice um, tagline, which is practice of the pulse, but the one that I have is authentic and accessible legal services. So mm-hmm. I really like that you're talking about the authentic piece, but sometimes I have to remind myself of it. You know, it's, it is tough to balance those aspects, especially when there is, and we've talked about it many times on the podcast before the traditional idea of what a lawyer is, looks like, and does, and what they do. So um, thanks for sharing both of you on a little bit about how you guys battle that every day. I know I do too, but we could be here for the rest of the day <laughs> but if I start going on my rant about how, how I struggle with that. Brayden, we have another question for you that I think is really interesting because we asked I, I can't even remember what the a- actual answer or what the question was, but it brought out this very unique retirement plan. And I would just love for you to share a bit more about that because I think it really encompasses your unique personality and like what you want to do in this world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, i am always, it's so funny because I could probably have just done this instead of starting a law firm, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I just I've always had this idea of the summary retiring and and uh you know I think a lot of people have this like, you know, I want to have this much money or uh, you know, have this big house or this or that. And I've never, uh that's never really been like a big goal of mine. It's been my goals are to, you know, travel as much as I can and meet as many people as I can for one thing. But then the other thing is I've always really wanted to have like a quaint little coffee shop with, you know, uh like wooden sort of cabin like feel. Um have a bunch of like record, I I have a bunch of vinyl records that I collect and just like have them all in there. And maybe people do yoga and, you know, like a pinball games room. Like I just, I have this like great grand idea that maybe one day um, I'll just be a semi-retired lawyer with a coffee shop on the first floor and my law practice on the second floor. So, you know, it doesn't seem like a lofty goal in some ways, but um, I feel like I need to be very comfortable to do that. So Maybe one day you guys will, will be visiting me at my coffee shop.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. <laughs> I love that idea. And I think you could draw inspiration on this from a non-lawyer. Um, I don't know if you know the musician Kathleen Edwards. Um, yes. She, yeah, she's amazing, amazing musician. And for a time, uh, she has since returned. But for a big period of time, she quit music. And she opened a cafe called Quitter's Coffee um, in Stittsville, Ontario. And she still runs, she's now, she just recently released an album in the past year, um, but she still runs Quitter's Coffee. And um, I've never been, but I hear great things. And growing up in my household, we were big Kathleen Edwards fans. Um, And so I think that's really cool. You know, like she drew from kind of quitting music for a time when she needed to step away and you could semi-retire like you were talking about, and you could do both.
1: I mean, (laughs) maybe it's closer than it seems. Right now, it's because I've got my hands dipped into so many, what is it, cookie jars. I feel like I have to be able to unwind myself from them at some point. And, you know, I'm still young-ish. I actually saw Kathleen Edwards in Toronto at one point um, with a a guy named Dan Mangan. um, And it was around the time when I went to a coffee shop called Snakes and Lattes, which had just opened up there. And that was one of those things that also gave me inspiration for like, uh, I, I would love to do this. <laughs> I would love to be the person just hanging out, like knowing everyone's orders behind the coffee shop, uh, the, the coffee shop till. So that brought up a really weird memory. I didn't know that she did that.
2: Yeah. Um. Not, okay. This is just a funny anecdotal story that my boyfriend would hate that I'm sharing, but um, he <laughs> was um when he went into law school was gonna like open up his own law practice and then we flipped and I opened my own law practice and he's not even practicing law but his mom and his family had this dream for him that he would open up his own butcher shop in Muskoka and that he would be like a part-time butcher and a part-time lawyer and I just think that's oh, the funniest <coughs> <combo ever.
1: laughs> oh my gosh
2: because for context he's just like a really good cook and he like smokes meats and he used to work in the butcher shop at a grocery store and like all this stuff and I thought that was a really funny mix but coffee I think it definitely vibes better with the with the part-time lawyer
1: <laughs> it'd be the Sweeney Todd of law that's great <laughs> just a secret butcher shop in the back okay
0: I'm just trying to picture this. I'm picturing Kevin, Aaron's partner, um, running a butcher. this is hilarious. Wow. We're going to have to talk more about this off the air, but um, Brayden, just pivoting. We always love to ask people, wow, this is hilarious. We always love to ask people this question. What is something, something new that you've learned recently?
1: Um, I didn't know what, I didn't know what to say to this. I mean, I, I, I am like one of those people that will stay up all hours of the night just trying to learn stuff I'm really bad at going to sleep um so yeah I actually I recently learned that um so I've been somehow I've been connected through some of the things I've done online sequester all these like online games and stuff I play with like various actors in the states and I learned that there's this guy named John Groff who plays King George on the Hamilton musical and I, I'm sure that you guys maybe were part of the big buzz around Hamilton. And King George was this guy that came out and like to me stole part of the show because he was hilariously disgusting. Um, But anyways, I thought this guy was really great. And then I like just realized yesterday as I'm rewatching Disney shows with my uh, nephew that this guy's the voice of like two characters in Frozen. So Kristoff and Sven, one of my, (laughs) a show that I've watched like a million times. This guy, he's also in Mindhunter. And he's in like a million other things. So basically I've just like all of a sudden decided that this guy named Jonathan Groff is my favorite Broadway musician, my favorite actor. He's like taken like every pedestal like within a couple months. So, you know, if you are ever watching Frozen, look out for this guy. If you're watching Hamilton, look out for him. Um, Very, very cool.
0: (laughs) I love Jonathan Groff. And when I was growing up, I was a big um, Gleek like the TV show Glee, huge fan. Jonathan Groff was also in Glee.
1: Was he in Glee?
0: Was in Glee. No, you, what? Yes, starring role, Jesse St. James. Go back and watch, Brayden. It's very important. Um, He also starred, um, he was in the original cast of Spring Awakening on Broadway. Now, I saw Spring Awakening on Broadway with my grandma, who I love so much, but anyone that knows anything about the musical Spring Awakening, it's all about, like, teenage sex and angst and, like, I didn't really, like, know how to tell my grandma that, so I told her kind of right before act one when, like, the curtain was going up. Um But we had a great time together uh, in New York seeing musicals. Um But Jonathan Groft is amazing, and uh, everyone should be a fan. And for Frozen, I'm gonna probably now have the song stuck in my head the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, he's also a little shop of horrors as well. He's, he's multi-talented. He <laughs>
0: you know when you just get
1: those, like, celebrity yeah. crushes? I think that's where I'm at right now. Like, you just, like like a move along to various celebrity crushes especially
0: this is now a jonathan younger. Roth podcast like sir, <laughs> this is this is it like we are now transitioning all future episodes are just reading you'll have to come back it'll be three hosts yeah. this, this is how it's gonna be
1: we'll do a hamilton uh reenactment it's very <laughs> legal podcast. it's very legal leaning
0: <laughs> don't don't tempt me because i would i would agree instantaneously <laughs>
2: Well, thank you so much, Brayden. We've honestly learned so much from you and really enjoyed. If you can't tell from all of our laughter and giggles, we've had an absolute blast recording with you this afternoon. So if you're curious about learning more about the interesting work that Brayden does, or if you want to book with him on Good Lawyer, we'll put all of the links in
0: the episode notes. And to stay up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Off the Tracks Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review if you're feeling generous. Stay tuned for a new episode released every Tuesday. Thanks. Bye.